Chapter Fourteen of In Brief Authority by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Chapter Fourteen. Bag and Baggage. The court godmother returned to the throne room. She had not attached much importance to what Daphne had told her, but even if she had, she would have belittled it in her extreme desire to avoid any action that might entail inconvenience to herself. In the throne room, Count Rubenfresser had just been announced. "'Yes, Duchess,' said Queen Selina, in answer to an astonished inquiry. "'That is dear Edna's fiancé. "'A fine young man, is he not?' "'Heavens! I should think he was. "'I should call him a giant myself,' replied the Duchess bluntly. "'I told you he was rather tall. "'I think he's grown since his engagement. "'How do you do, my dear Ruprecht? "'Come and be introduced to my old friend, the Duchess of Gleneagles.' who is so very anxious to make your acquaintance. "'I don't much care about knowing old women,' said the Count, who had no great love for his future mother-in-law, and had become much less deferential of late. "'But this one's a duchess, Ruprecht,' whispered the agonized Queen. "'Edna, my love, perhaps you had better—' And eventually he submitted with a slight scowl to be led up and presented by his fiancée. "'I hear I am to congratulate you, uh, Count Fresser,' said the Duchess. "'You are certainly a fortunate man to have won a princess.' "'Not more fortunate than she,' he replied. "'She wanted a superman, as she calls it. "'I am doing all I can to become one.' "'If she isn't satisfied with you as you are, she must be hard to please.' "'She is satisfied enough,' he said. "'Now it is for her to please me. "'She knows that by this time, don't you, Edna?' "'Yes, Rupert, dear, yes,' said Edna hastily. "'Of course I do. "'This is how he's taken to bullying me, Duchess,' she added lightly. "'Don't you think it's too bad of him?' "'It seems a little early to begin. "'You shouldn't allow it.' "'Oh, but I like him to,' said Edna, pressing the Count's great arm. "'In that case, my dear,' said the Duchess, "'you have every prospect of a happy future.' A blast from the silver trumpets here proclaimed that luncheon was served. "'Lunch at last, eh?' said King Sidney, bustling up to the Duchess. "'Permit me to offer your grace my arm. Clarence, my boy, you take in her ladyship here. Selina, my love, if you will lead the way with the marshal.' The Count followed with Edna, and the fairy Vogelflug arrived in time to bring up the rear with Princess Ruby. "'It's a most extraordinary thing,' said the King after they had sat down to lunch in the hall with the Malachite columns. A most extraordinary thing that, when we have company like this, there should be no more than six pages to wait on us. We generally have at least a dozen. What's become of all the rest of you? he asked the page. I cannot say, sir, answered the boy. They were waiting in the courtyard to receive His Excellency the Count, but have not yet returned. King Sidney told the court chamberlain to send for them at once, but the messenger returned with the information that the missing pages were nowhere to be seen. "'Must have run off before I arrived,' said the Count, laughing boisterously. "'Played truant, the young rascals!' The fairy, however, recollected Daphne's story of the sack, and was seized with suspicion. Was it possible that the royal pages? If so, she felt something ought to be done, though not by her. She was too cautious an old person to take unnecessary risks, and decided to employ a deputy. "'Ruby, my child,' 
she whispered to the little princess, who was sitting next to her. "'I believe the Count has brought a present for you. It's in a sack in his coach. Ask him what it is.' "'I don't want to know,' objected Ruby. "'I wouldn't take any present from him, except Tootsie, perhaps.' "'I may be wrong,' said the court godmother. "'Perhaps it isn't for you, after all. But I'm sure it would make him very uncomfortable if you asked him, before everybody, what he happens to have in that sack of his.' "'If I was sure of that,' said Ruby, "'I'd ask him like a shot.' "'You may depend on it. And more than that, Lady Daphne is particularly anxious to know.' "'Oh, if Miss Heritage wants me to, all right,' said Ruby. "'I say, Count Rubenfresser,' she called across the table, "'I want to ask you something.' "'If it's a riddle, little princess,' replied the Count, with his mouth full, "'I give it up beforehand.' "'It isn't a riddle.' "'It's this. What have you got inside that sack?' "'Sack?' said the Count, blankly. "'I don't understand. I have no sack here.' "'I don't mean here. I mean the sack that's inside your coach.' "'Ruby, my dear,' interposed her mother. "'You mustn't be so inquisitive. It's very rude.' "'I know he's got a sack there, Mummy,' insisted Ruby, "'and I do want to know what he's got in it.' "'Hear me rag my precious brother-in-law.' said Clarence aside to Lady Muscombe. "'A sack, eh?' he said aloud. "'What do you bring a sack out to lunch for? Scraps?' "'For shame, Clarence!' cried Edna. "'It's not a sack, as it happens,' said the Count sulkily. "'It's a long bag, and what I use it for is entirely my own business.' "'I don't know so much about that,' retorted Clarence. "'With such a lot of plate in the palace.' "'Clarence!' cried Edna again. "'This is too outrageous of you.' "'Much,' put in Lady Muscombe. "'As if the Count couldn't bring his clubs with him if he's going on to golf somewhere,' she said to Clarence in an undertone. "'And of course he'd want a very long case for them. You really must behave more decently.' "'I mean having this out with the beggar,' he replied. "'Count, her ladyship suggests that you may have golf clubs in that bag of yours. Is that so?' "'And if I have,' said the Count, why shouldn't I? Because you don't play golf. No one does here. Now, and I'll take my oath, you can't tell a brassy from a putter. You never owned a set of clubs in your life. Really, my boy, said King Sidney nervously, a scene like this, before our guests. It won't do, you know. Drop it. Yes, said Lady Muscombe, laying her pretty but slightly over-manicured fingers on Clarence's sleeve, you're only making everybody uncomfortable. Talk to me instead. Presently, he said. If you really have got golf clubs, Count, I should like to have a look at them after lunch. I never said I had got those things, replied the Count, with a wonderful command over his temper. And if you want to know what is in the bag, I don't mind telling you. Only a few pumpkins for my own gardens. You mean to say you make such pets of your bolly pumpkins that you take them out driving with you? "'That's such a likely story.' "'Clarence,' said the Queen, "'I will not have poor Ruprecht battered like this. "'If he chooses to carry pumpkins with him, "'as we do gold sometimes, "'and distribute them to deserving persons, "'it is so much the more to his credit.' "'He'd get him buzzed back at his head pretty soon if he did,' "'replied the impenitent Clarence. "'He's not exactly the object of general adoration in these parts, "'as he jolly well knows. "'Anything upset you, Marchioness?' he inquired of Lady Muscombe, 
who was giggling with a quite unpeers-like lack of restraint. "'Nothing,' she said faintly. "'Only the... the pumpkins. You really are rather a funny royal family, you know.' "'I'm sorry to make myself unpleasant, Mater,' said Clarence, returning to the charge, "'but I can't swallow those pumpkins. I want the sack brought in, so that we can satisfy ourselves what there is in it.' The court chamberlain, in the hope that the contents, whatever they might be, would at least serve to compromise the Count, instantly dispatched one of the pages to fetch the bag. "'Baron,' said the Queen angrily, "'it is for us to give orders, not you.' "'Your Majesty must pardon my presumption,' he said, as the pages had already obeyed him. "'I was merely carrying out the wishes of His Royal Highness the Crown Prince.' "'I shall die if this goes on much longer. I know I shall,' gasped Lady Muscombe. "'Ha!' cried Clarence, as the pages staggered in with a huge distended sack. "'Leave it alone. I'll open it myself.' "'Surely not without asking the owner's permission,' said the Duchess, who had hitherto witnessed the scene in silent and dignified amazement. "'You can open it if you like,' said the Count, with a confident smile and then you will see what a fuss you have made about nothing. Clarence cut the cord and opened the sack. The moment he did so, his jaw fell. I own up, he said. I was wrong. They are pumpkins. And if you are a gentleman, Clarence, cried Edna, you will apologize to Rupert at once. There may be something else underneath, he said, lifting a pumpkin suspiciously in both hands. Hello! My hat! What's this I've got hold of? he exclaimed, as the vegetable suddenly developed, the moment it was clear of the sack, into one of the chubbiest of the royal pages. "'Very odd,' he remarked, as he set the boy down. "'Let's have the lot out.' He tilted the sack, and as each pumpkin rolled out upon the sardonyx pavement, a bewildered page sprang up in its stead. "'Quite a clever trick,' said Lady Muscombe. "'Even Masculine and Devant couldn't beat that.' "'After all,' "'It wasn't so very much of a change,' was Ruby's comment. "'What do you boys mean by playing at being pumpkins in this way?' demanded King Sidney. "'I must have an explanation of this. Speak out, one of you.' "'If it please you, sire,' said the first page, sinking on one knee, "'when His Excellency the Count arrived, he invited us to get inside the sack, at the bottom of which he told us we should find sweetmeats. And we crawled in, and I don't remember any more till I fell out just now.' "'Just count these boys, Baron, will you?' said the king. "'The whole dozen correct? Good. And now, sir,' he added, turning to the count, "'I should like to hear what you have got to say.' "'Allow me, sire,' interrupted Marshal Federhelm, as Count Ruprecht seemed content to smile blandly. "'His Excellency no doubt intended to afford your majesties a little harmless diversion.' "'That was all,' said the count. "'This is a magic sack.' which has the property of turning anything inside it into whatever its owner wishes. I thought it might amuse you. Liar, struck in Clarence. You wouldn't have said a word about it but for Ruby. You meant to take those pumpkins, I mean pages, away with you. You know you did. I don't know what the governor made her think of it, but I consider myself it was a confounded liberty. Well, well, said the king. It was a mistake, no doubt. But there's been no harm done so perhaps we'd better leave it at that. For the present, you know, for the present. But the court chamberlain could not allow such an opportunity to escape him. "'Forgive me, sire,' he said eagerly, 
but your majesties are evidently unacquainted with his excellency's family history the motive for his indiscretion will perhaps be better understood when i mention that his parents title was formerly bubenfresser and that they were executed by command of the late king as being notorious ogres so that was his game was it cried clarence bagged our pages meaning to gobble em up when he got em home am i to have an ogre for a brother-in-law at this there was a general cry of horror marshal said the king you must have known all about this and he gave that fellow an excellent character i had no reason to believe otherwise sire replied the ex-regent smoothly he had been brought up as a strict vegetarian and i cannot think that if he had not acquired a taste for meat at your majesty's table he would ever have developed these um, hereditary proclivities he hasn't developed them declared edna it's false ruprecht deny it tell them you are no ogre really ma'am said the duchess to queen selina i must ask your permission to leave the table i don't feel as if i ought to be present at a family dispute of this intimate nature pray don't go my dear duchess the queen implored her not till you have heard what the count has to say the count rose and folded his arms in proud defiance i am not an ogre he said sulkily i knew it i knew it cried edna appearances were against him that's all not an ogre yet went on the count but i hope to be one as soon as i get the chance no no ruprecht protested edna you don't mean it you know you don't what said the count scowling at her are you going to turn round on me like this after encouraging me as you did you will not find it easy to persuade me said the duchess that the princess would ever have urged you to become an ogre urged him indeed cried edna wildly i had no suspicion i never said a single word that could possibly didn't you say i was to follow the teachings of your great master with a name i never can pronounce he demanded didn't you tell me to make my own morality and obey my own instincts without caring what people thought or what suffering i inflicted you know you did and that's all i've done my instincts told me that those pages were my natural provender i had a perfect right to take them if i could the only people who would condemn me would be just those average conventional persons for whom you have such a contempt i expected better things from you i cannot sit here another moment declared the duchess rising it is making me positively ill and me added lady muscombe i have been on the point of fainting several times i must say she told clarence this is quite the weirdest lunch i ever sat through we will all leave duchess said the queen i assure you i entirely share your sentiments and perhaps by this time even edna i loathe him mother she said shuddering i only hope i shall never see his face again you hear that sir said king sidney with more firmness than he usually showed and as the princess edna uh, voices the general feeling perhaps you'll see the propriety of getting out of this at once it seems to me said the count that you're all making a great fuss about nothing if i'd eaten any of your pages i couldn't stand it but i haven't i never got the chance thanks to clarence put in queen selina he saved the poor boys it was miss heritage really mummy 
corrected Ruby, jealously. She wanted to know about the sack, or I shouldn't have asked. Miss Heritage, muttered Edna. Ah, I might have known it. Now just you be off to that castle of yours, said the king, addressing the discomfited but quite unrepentant ogre. And mind you keep inside it for the future. You will see that he does that, Marshal. I don't want any scandal about this business, but if I have any more trouble from you I shall be forced, well, to take some very strong measures. I'm just going, said the ogre calmly. May I have my bag? Confound your impudence! No, returned the king. I shall have the beastly thing destroyed. Then I think you ought to give me back some of the money I paid for it, said the ogre. I bought it from Master Curiel, and I know you get two-thirds the price of any article he sells. He told me so. You, you infamous scoundrel, cried King Sidney, turning extremely red, perhaps with anger. Marshal, see this ruffian off the premises. And look here, just send for that rascally astrologer, will you? I'll make short work of him. Farewell, then, to your majesties, said the ogre, with a jaunty wave of his big hand. And farewell to you, Princess Edna. If I have not been as much of a superman as I could wish, you may still find that I have profited by your teachings. The old court chamberlain's chest gave a loud crack as the count swaggered out. Thank goodness he's gone, said Queen Selina. Really, my dear Duchess, and you, dear Lady Muscombe, I simply can't say how distressed I am that anything so unpleasant should have occurred while you were under our roof. I do hope you won't blame me. I always disliked the Count myself, but I should never have dreamt of asking him to meet you if I had known the sort of person he really was. Indeed, ma'am, said the Duchess, I can quite believe that. And after all, said Lady Muscombe languidly, I dare say there are lots of people in town, in houses where they don't keep a page, I mean, who'd be glad enough to get him to come and dine. Society is so much less exclusive than it used to be. That, remarked the Duchess, entirely depends on what you mean by society. And now, ma'am, she continued to her hostess, as the birds, I think you mentioned that they were storks, which brought us here, should be rested by this time, I shall be obliged if you will order the car to take me back as soon as I have changed my dress. And me too, if you don't mind, said Lady Muscombe. I must get home before Nibbles does. Oh, but you mustn't leave us so soon, protested Queen Selina in dismay, to come all this way for such a miserable little visit. A flying visit, let us call it, said the Duchess. But, candidly, this country of yours doesn't suit me. I don't feel safe with characters such as ogres and giants and dragons about. But I assure your grace, there are very, very few, hardly any, in fact. There are more than my nerves can stand, said the Duchess, firmly, and Queen Selina, though deeply mortified by her guest's eagerness to go, found that she could no longer detain them. The court chamberlain and his attendants brought the store car to the palace door by the time the visitors had resumed their former costumes. "'Good-bye, dear Duchess,' said the Queen. "'So charmed to have seen you, even for so short a time. I hope some day you will come again.' "'I think it improbable,' was the grim reply. "'And if you'll allow me to say so, ma'am, when I do stay anywhere, I prefer a house where I can be sure of the sort of people I am likely to meet.' 
"'I say, Marchioness,' cried Clarence, as he joined them on the steps, "'you're not really going, are you? I wish you'd stay on a bit. We're getting on thundering well together, you and I.' "'Very sad, isn't it?' she answered, with a charming but slightly mocking grimace. "'But Nibbles wouldn't like me to stop here philandering with fairy princes, even if they aren't quite the real thing. Good-bye, ma'am,' she added, with a gay little nod, as she stepped into the car, where the Duchess was already seated. "'Thanks so much for having me. It's a wonderful house to stay in, and a most interesting experience.' "'I have an impression,' said the Duchess drowsily, "'that I shall wake up presently and find all this has been a dream. I trust so, but if not, would you mind telling this elderly gentleman to set me down in some unfrequented part, not Stratford Place, where I should attract more attention than is at all desirable?' "'That's a good idea, Duchess,' said Lady Muscombe. "'He can drop us on Clapham Common, and we can share a taxi home.' Queen Selina kissed her hand affectionately to them both, as the storks spread their great wings and the car slowly rose. But her salute was not returned, principally for the reason that both ladies had already closed their eyes in slumber. "'And we might have made those two women our friends for life,' she lamented as she went indoors. "'I hope, Edna, my love,' You see now what comes of getting your own way. "'If I've been mistaken for once,' said Edna, in a spiritless tone, "'you needn't rub it in, mother. I can't imagine now what I could ever have seen in that detestable creature.' "'Nor I, especially as you could see nothing in Prince Mirliflor, who really was. No, my dear, I'm only speaking for your good. If I were sure you regretted your treatment of him, I might perhaps find some way—' I dare say I should act differently if he asked me again, but he won't. This dreadful story is sure to get round to him somehow. Of course I'm glad Rupert has been found out in time, but he need not have been exposed so publicly. I do resent that. And you heard what Ruby said. Miss Heritage was at the bottom of it. She deliberately planned this to humiliate me. And if you have the smallest consideration for me, mother, you'll forbid her to appear at court after this. I'm afraid she's a designing young person, admitted the Queen and I have thought more than once lately of sending her home to England. Then do it, mother. If you don't, I shall simply refuse to appear in public myself sooner than meet her. She shall go, my dear. I'll see the court godmother about it at once. And don't let yourself get too downhearted over the other affair. Prince Mirliflor, I mean. I've great hopes we can put that right. I've just left poor darling Edna, she began, as soon as she found the fairy alone. All this has been a terrible shock to her, as you may imagine, but it seems I was right in thinking she never really cared for that unspeakable man. He terrified her into accepting him, and, between ourselves, godmother, I fancy that if you could induce Prince Mirliflor to come forward again, he would not be sent away a second time. "'So I should imagine myself,' said the fairy dryly, "'but as it happens, owing to the result of my previous efforts, I have lost all influence with Mirliflor. He and I have fallen out. But you could easily make it up with him. You might say she was really in love with him from the first, only she wished to put him to the proof. Something of that sort. Tell him how delighted we should all be to see him again. There's another little matter I wish to speak to you about. Edna has taken the strongest dislike to that Miss Heritage, who I must say has acted most unwarrantably. I have made up my mind to part with her, and I thought, if you would arrange to have her taken back to England, 
as soon as the car returns tomorrow. Stop, said the fairy. I must have time to think over that. She had, it is true, renounced all further interference in anybody's affairs, but habit was too strong for her. Her old brain was busying itself once more with the scheme she had abandoned, a scheme that would certainly not be assisted by Daphne's expulsion from Märchenland. So she temporized. Yes, she said at last, I quite see from what you tell me that Lady Daphne cannot remain at court any longer. The difficulty is that I can't send her back to England just yet. My storks will not be fit for so long a flight again for a fortnight at the very least. I'm not going to have them killed on her account. I could do this for you. I could establish her in a little pavilion in a distant part of the palace grounds, and keep her there under my own eyes, till the storks are ready for another journey. It's a very secluded place, almost a wilderness, and none of the court ever go near it. "'That seems an excellent plan,' said the Queen. "'But I shouldn't care for them to know that she is a prisoner. They had better be told that she has resigned her situation and left the palace. And you won't forget my little hint about Prince Mirliflor, you know?' "'I will bear it in mind. In fact, if you can spare me for a day or two, I thought of going over to Claire de Lune in the Dove Chariot tomorrow and having a little chat with him.' "'Oh, by all means, do,' said the Queen gratefully. "'So kind of you to take so much trouble.' "'It's more on his account than yours,' replied the Fairy, with a candour that might have been intended as complimentary. "'But I don't guarantee that anything will come of it, at all events, for a considerable time.' "'Indeed, I quite understand that that his wound can hardly be expected to heal just yet.' The fairy lost no time in conveying Daphne to the secret pavilion without the knowledge of any of the court. It was quite fit for occupation, and supplied with all that was necessary for comfort. The court godmother provided her with an attendant, and even procured some ancient volumes of Märchenland history with which Daphne could beguile her solitude. That night the court godmother summoned up all her energies to send Mirliflor another vision of Daphne. It was the best vision she had ever transmitted but it was terribly exhausting work, and she grumbled bitterly to herself that the scheme she had in hand should demand these excessive exertions. But it was one of the good old-fashioned schemes which have always been beloved by romantic but didactic fairy godmothers. It would test the characters of Mirliflor and Daphne, and be valuable moral discipline for both, while, if they came through it triumphantly, they would be amply compensated for any temporary inconvenience. She had not engaged in an affair of this kind for at least a century and a quarter, and she was looking forward to a highly interesting and enjoyable experience. First, she must regain her influence over Mirliflor, but she thought she would not find much difficulty in doing that. The astrologer royal had been duly summoned before the king to explain his dealings with the ogre count, but he not unwisely preferred to disappear instead, taking with him his books of spells and other apparatus. It was reported that he had found refuge at Drachenstolz. "'Gone there, has he?' said King Sidney, to the marshal. "'Better send someone to arrest him.' "'It would need an army, sire,' said the marshal, "'and a long siege to enter the castle.' "'Oh, is that so?' said the king. "'Well, then, have guards posted all round to see that they don't get out. After all, 
so long as we keep them boxed up there, they can't do any mischief. And the guards were posted accordingly. Poor Ruby was almost broken-hearted on hearing from her mother that her beloved Miss Heritage had gone back to England without so much as a word of farewell. The court received the news with murmurs, and a strong suspicion that she had not left of her own free will. Clarence was in the deepest dejection. It was true that he had made no advance of late in his pursuit of her, but so long as she remained there had always been hope. Now that she was gone for ever, even his riding and hunting became uninteresting and purposeless. What was the use of excelling in them when she was not there to hear of his prowess? Early that afternoon he returned from the forest, and, after spending a few minutes in his own apartments, came down to his father's private cabinet with a gloomy and slightly startled expression. He found King Sidney alone, and in better spirits than usual. "'Back from your hunting already, my boy,' he said. "'Had enough of it,' said Clarence. "'Felt a bit off it to-day, somehow.' "'Ah, your mother and I are just in from a drive. "'There's no doubt this, um, rupture with that disgusting fellow "'has brought about an enormous improvement in the public feeling. "'We were cheered, my boy, actually cheered. "'It may be some time before you're cheered again, Governor,' said Clarence. "'I mean, you made a grand mistake in letting that little perisher Xuriel "'sell those tables of his under royal patronage, "'and I'm afraid you'll hear of it before long.' "'Eh? Why? What's wrong with them? They seem to give perfect satisfaction. Have there been any complaints?' "'There'll be lots, if they all go like mine has. When I came in just now, I was feeling a bit peckish, so I got out my table. It laid itself right enough, only the wine was stiff with wriggly things like tadpoles, and, when I lifted the dish-cover, I'm hanged if there weren't a couple of great fat snakes under it, hissing like tea-kettles.' and I paid the beggar a sack and a half of ducats for that table. "'Most untradesmanlike,' said King Sidney indignantly. "'Of course, you can make him return the money.' "'No, you can't, though. I forgot. The fellow's bolted.' "'I wasn't thinking so much of that,' said Clarence. "'But suppose all the other Johnnies who've bought tables find their wrong uns and want their money back from us?' "'They wouldn't have a leg to stand on, my boy.' It's a clear case of caveat emptor. But, after all, there's no reason at present to suppose the other tables are, um, in a similar condition to yours. It's to be hoped not, said Clarence. They'll be the devil's own row if they are. Unfortunately, it soon appeared that they were, and the numerous persons in Eswarenmal who had purchased them felt their grievance so strongly that they sent a large and somewhat turbulent deputation to demand an audience from his majesty. King Sidney received them. Indeed, he could not very well avoid doing so, as they forced their way to his presence. He did his best to reason with them, pointing out the undeniable fact that no guarantee had been given that the tables would last for ever, and that it was scarcely surprising if, after being in constant use, they should begin to show symptoms of wear and tear, a phrase which had the effect of infuriating them almost to madness nor were they pacified when he quoted his maxim of caveat emptor, and pointed out that, if people would invest in magic tables, some degree of trickery was only to be expected. His arguments were lost on them. They had discovered somehow that the greater part of their purchase money had gone to swell the royal revenues, and they clamoured for instant restitution. So finally the king had recourse to his usual expedient. 
"'Don't let us have a row about this little matter, gentlemen,' he said. "'I'm anxious to meet you if I can, and I tell you what I'll do. I'll have the council summoned at once. You can lay your claims before them, and if they can see their way to granting you any compensation, we shall be as good friends as ever again.' King Sidney's idea had been that the council, if they decreed any compensation at all, would do so from funds belonging to the state. It appeared, however, that they did not consider this to be within their powers. They decided that, as the sovereign had enjoyed the greater part of the profit on the sales of the self-supplying tables, he was bound to refund the money, proportionate deductions being made for the period during which each table had been in proper order. This required elaborate calculations, but the Lord Treasurer had a wonderful head for figures, and worked them out to such effect that there was only moderate grumbling on the part of the creditors, all of whom received rather more than their due, while a good many had never bought a table at all. So, on the whole, the decision satisfied all except the royal family. "'It's easy to be generous with other people's money,' said the king, "'but this business has nearly cleared us out. That confounded treasurer hasn't left us more than a dozen sacks or so to go on with. He suggested that I might try to get a loan from the king of Goldenbergenland. I am told he's wealthy, so perhaps he'd be willing to oblige a fellow monarch if I gave him the mine as security. That mine? said Clarence. Why, it doesn't cover its working expenses, and never will, with the wages we pay those minor johnnies. Most exorbitant, said the king. I've been thinking of, um, bringing back those yellow gnomes. They wouldn't want wages, and the mine would be healthier for them than those marshes they're draining. It might, agreed Clarence, if there were any of the poor little beggars left, but I believe the climate has been too much for em. Has it, though? I'm afraid they must have neglected to take proper precautions. Very ungrateful, after all I've done for them. But it's no use trying to benefit that class of persons. I see that now. Clarence still wore his pendant, though he rode less and less frequently. The marshal told him that there was excellent carp-fishing to be had on the Crystal Lake, a few miles from Eswarenmal, and he took up this sport, making solitary expeditions to the lake, from which he returned in better spirits for a time. But even this occupation soon palled, and the whole court was struck by his increasing dejection, which, rightly or wrongly, they attributed to the absence of Lady Daphne. End of chapter 14